to get started, I don't want to tell you all a story. I have a cousin whose name is Isaac, and some of you have had the pleasure of meeting him over the, the years. And to me, he is the shining definition of like a punk kid. Like when you visualize a kid who's just good for nothing, punk, always in trouble, that's Isaac. And uh, in 2018, uh, kind of end of the summer, going into the fall, my cousin Isaac calls me up and says, hey, Brian, um, I don't know if you know this, but the Indiana Pacers are gonna be playing the Golden State Warriors in January. And like any punk kid, he's a fan of the Patriots and the Golden State Warriors, the two teams that you know civilized adults just hate. That's punk kids, love those teams. And so he's like, hey, I really wanna to go to this basketball game with my friend, uh, but my mom says she doesn't trust me going to Indianapolis all by myself because he grows, he, he lives in like a small town outside of Evansville. So it's a big trip for a kid who's, you know, 16 years old to just go with his friend to Indianapolis. Uh, and he asked me, would you be interested in January when the Pacers play the Warriors and going to this basketball game with me? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm not big into the NBA. I'm more of a college basketball guy, but Personally, I'm a big fan of Victor Oladipo growing up, you know, Indiana. Well, he's not an Indiana kid, but he went to Indiana, played for the Pacers, kind of like that hometown team feel. So I'd be interested in going to this game and getting to see Victor Oladipo. But I knew because they were playing the Warriors who had like Kevin Durant and Steph Curry that like prices for this game would be incredibly expensive. So I told him, yes, I'll go with you. Let me find a good deal, get the tickets. I'll take care of it as, you know, the adult in this conversation. And this is, you know, summer, fall. The game's not till January. And like two days later, he calls me up. He says, hey, did you get tickets to the game yet? But no, I haven't gotten tickets to the game yet. It's like five months away. He's like, good, I bought tickets. And they're $96 a person. And I'm like, great, I haven't even told my wife that this is a thing yet. And now I have to told her, tell her I've, I've spent $96 on basketball tickets um, without me being aware. And the worst part of the story, because that fallback was, well, at least I'll get to see Victor Oladipo play some basketball. The game before the Warriors, the Pacers played the Toronto Raptors, and Victor Oladipo tore his quad and was out for the rest of the season, literally the game before. And I said, great, I've spent all of this money to go and watch Victor Oladipo, and now I'm not even gonna get to watch Victor Oladipo. And instead, they started a guy named Edmund Sumner, who like scored two points the whole game, and the Warriors won by like 38, and it was a complete waste of time. Um, so I tell you this story to say, I am Edmund Sumner, and you all are people who thought you were going to hear Matt Shockney today. But the good news about it is, you know, we, we've just done a baptism, and I like to talk about, like, new beginnings. Um, and that's what, really, baptism is. It's, it's the early days after accepting Christ. You have made a public proclamation to serve him in front of the church body, and then you go out to serve. And... A lot of people, when we talk about stories and movies, are really into like the end of the story. And personally, I was always a fan of the beginning. 
Um, for people who are in the Lord of the Rings, whether it be the books or the movies, everybody talks about the return of the king, the final movie. It's the best one. I was always a big fan of the Fellowship of the Ring. It's the first movie. You learn about the characters. You learn about the, per like the problems, the drama. You that, to me, the beginning is the exciting part. For those of you who are in the Star Wars, everybody talks about Return of the Jedi, or if you're young, you talk about Revenge of the Sith. Like, I was always a fan of A New Hope, and learning about the characters, and learning about this bad guy named Darth Vader, and you don't know that, like, Luke's his son, and you find all that out. Like, that's what I'm into. And so, baptism, to me, is like the beginning of a story. So I want to talk to you guys a little bit, and it's going to involve a little bit about baptism and a little bit about the early days of someone's life. And that's going to be the, the conversion from Saul to Paul. Um, I don't have any notes. Like I said, I'm Edmund Sumner. I found out about this yesterday. Uh, so we don't have anything to follow along, but I definitely invite you guys to open up to Acts 9, if you would, with me. It's going to be Acts 9. It's in the New Testament. If you open your Bible to the middle and then you go to the right side and you open what's left to the middle, you'll be very close to the book of Acts. And Acts 9 is all about Saul. He's on his road to Damascus, and he is confronted and blinded and then accepts Christ. Most people know that first part. He's blind. Um, God has confronted him on the road. He's going to persecute Christians. I want to start with shortly after the conversion of Saul to Paul, and then what happens next? And that's kind of like the challenge after you accept Christ, is what do I do now that I've made Christ my Lord and Savior? So we're going to look at the next steps from that moment on. What did Paul do after accepting Christ? So we're going to start with Acts 9, uh, verses 13. And we're going to cover all the way through 30, but I'm just going to go ahead at first and read 13 through 19. It says, But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings, the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother, Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. So today, as we talk about Saul, I want to kind of talk about three things in his life that he did shortly after accepting Christ. Um, but the first one is he's baptized. The very first thing he does after accepting Christ is baptism. If you're reading or you're hearing this or listening to me online, and you have made Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's really two things that you're commanded to do after salvation. Um, we call these ordinances. If you go to other denominations, you might hear them as sacraments. Um, we believe we, you do these things to show that you are saved, but not in order to become saved. The first one is the Lord's Supper, which we try to take regularly here, and the second one is baptism. Uh, the Bible is littered through 
countless stories of people before they begin their ministry being baptized after accepting Christ. Uh, the most obvious version of that is going to be in Matthew 3, and we're going to look at Jesus kind of before he started off his ministry. That's Matthew 3, 13 through 17. And it says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out from the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, and to whom I am well pleased. I mean, what better example of someone who's about to start their ministry going through baptism than Jesus himself? Um, I've, I've talked to quite a few believers who have accepted Christ and were either baptized prior to salvation or believe they don't need to be baptized at all. And what better example can you give someone other than Jesus himself was baptized prior to starting his ministry. We understand he was about 30 years old at this point and then began the three-year ministry prior to his death. But prior to that, he was baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, so if we move on to you know, 19 through 25, going back to Acts 9, we kind of see the next thing Paul does after his baptism. It says, And he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, It is not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those calling on his name, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them before the chief priests. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. So Paul has accepted Christ, he has been baptized, and his natural response is to walk around telling everyone about Jesus. Literally to the point to where the people that he used to work for and be a follower of want to plot to kill him. Um, it's so natural for us and other things. When our life has changed, we want to talk about it. Um, for me, as a kid, you might not realize this now because I'm five foot six and you know a little bit overweight at this point. But in the early days of high school, I was very good at martial arts. That was consumed my life. And every day after school, I had my trainer like pick me up, take me to the gym. Uh, we would work on martial arts most of the day. He would take me home. My mom would have a plate in the fridge. I'd eat, I'd go to sleep, wake up the next day, do it all over again. And while I was doing this, I discovered a book from a, a very good martial artist. And it was kind of like a, an instructional how-to book. And it was called 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. And 10th Planet, 
I thought was because, oh, the, the jiu-jitsu is so good. It's out of this world. It's like on another planet. And I later discovered that the guy was like, uh, got arrested for dealing drugs, and he was so high that he was out of his mind. And that's why it's called Tenth Planet. But anyways, this book changed my martial arts life. Like, it was effective. It was easy to learn. Uh, my parents were very supportive of, of my martial arts that I was into. They bought me this this guy who is like a grappling dummy, not like a real human being, but it, like a thing that looks like a human that's filled with sand and has arms and legs, and I named him Fred, and I would grapple with this Fred, life-size human, practice this 10th planet jiu-jitsu, and I got very good at doing everything in this book, and it changed my life at that point. And every time I went to a martial arts class, every time I had like a amateur fight that was coming up, and people would talk to me, I would find a way to insert 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu into the conversation. Like, yeah, man, my training's going well, but have you heard of 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu? And yeah, that, that fight was really good, but have you heard about this guy named Eddie Bravo and 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu? It had changed my life, and the natural response for me was to tell everyone about that. Another example, when I joined the military, most of you guys know like the military has historically been pretty underfunded. And we had magazines to our weapons that like, were in the Vietnam War, and we were still using them in 2009 when I was in the Marines. And so one day, I'm out shopping, and I see this company called PMAG and they make their own magazine that's like military grade, but the military can't really afford it. And so I bought a couple, and like my weapon never jammed, and like all the issues with the other magazines of like trying to send out two of the bullets at once, like that problem just went away for me. And so I'm finding a reason to tell everybody in my unit, guys, what are you doing using these magazines? Why have you not gone out and bought yourself some PMAGs, man? And we did, I wrote a letter to PMAG, like the company, and like thanking them. They sent me a box, like a free box, because they heard I was in the Marines, we're going to Afghanistan. Had like a hundred magazines that you could use, like I handed them all to my buddies. We're telling everybody, like, write them a letter, they'll send you these magazines. When your life has changed, your natural response is to talk about that thing that's changed your life. And it seems crazy that when we're talking about things of a secular or civilian nature, it's very easy for us to have conversations. My life has been changed by these very meaningless things. I couldn't do 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu now, you know, like if my life depended on it, and I'm a mere 10 years later. We're talking about our like eternal fate, and Christ has cleansed us of our sins. We've been raised to walk in the newness of life, and what do we do about that? Most of the time, it's we tell no one. You know, if, if you're at work or you're at your daily life, you know, you're at the gym, when people know 10 things about you, is, is one of those 10 things that you're a believer? Is it the first of the 10 things that they know about you? I don't know. I, I don't live your life, but that should be something that should challenge you. When Saul accepted Christ, literally to the point to where people wanted to put him to death, his natural response was to tell people how his life was changed and preach the gospel. Uh, the third thing that he does, starting with 26 and reading through to 30, it says, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. 
But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to them and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, and they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So here we see the third thing that Saul naturally does after his baptism and after naturally accepting Christ, and that's to associate himself with other believers who know more than him. He goes to Jerusalem, and he finds out the disciples. Hey, guys, I want to be with you because you know more than me. That, that should be your third natural response. It seems like in, in modern culture, we hear any excuse for believers to not want to be around other believers, and it's totally the opposite in, in Paul's life. He's regularly committing himself to people to be discipled by them. Um, you hear all the time excuses that people give to not go to church, and one of them that kind of almost makes me laugh is, well, there's a bunch of sinners at church. You, you know, where there's also sinners, every other place you go to in your whole life is full of sinners. And it's like if you use that, that mindset uh, with any other thing, it just wouldn't make sense. Like, I go to work five days a week, and I'm, I'm surrounded by people most of the time, and there's a few exceptions, uh, with people who I feel like don't work as hard as me. And I've never once told my boss, hey, I, I work hard and nobody else works hard. This place is full of lazy people. I ain't coming here no more. That would be ludicrous for me to just stop working just because other people aren't working. Uh, I had a, another example I was going to use, but I've learned Sydney has a job at the YMCA, uh, and she appears to be fit, and she just got the job. I didn't know about it. But when you go to the Y, you're greeted by people at the front door, which is now Sydney. And typically, uh, those people appear to be out of shape. And I've never once gone to the Y and been like, ha, the people who work here aren't in shape. I'm surrounded by out-of-shape people. I'm no longer going to the YMCA. Like, they have dudes operating the machines, for those of you who go to the, the, the Y on the west side, and they're like 73 years old and like walk around with their t-shirts tucked in. It's like, I would never like, oh, these people are old and out of shape. I'm not going to the Y anymore. But people do that when it comes to church. I've gone to this place, and by golly, there was a sinner there that was, you know, accepted, and they didn't get kicked out. I'm, I'm not going to church anymore. It's an excuse that doesn't hold up anywhere else in life, and yet we let that be the case when it comes to church. And we, we see the opposite with Saul. His natural response is, I want to follow Christ. I want to proclaim Christ. The third logical thing for me to do is to associate myself with people who know more about Christ to develop myself. The, the New Testament is completely full of commands, some given by Jesus Christ himself, to regularly meet with other believers. And the purpose of that is for training, for development. It's, it's for you to be convicted. It's for you to be approached about sin. That should be your response. That was certainly Saul's response. Uh, the last thing I want to talk to you guys about today is is something that I find comforting. I know Matt likes to tell the story. Uh, we don't know much about Jesus between the ages of 12 and 30. There's a huge gap. And for so many believers, they accept Christ and they think, oh man, I, I better become a missionary tomorrow. 
Jesus spent 18 years, but there's another story, and that's right here. Um, Saul has accepted Christ. He has proclaimed Christ. He is getting developed by believers. And as we know, he, he goes on three missionary journeys. Does anybody have a rough idea of how long of a gap there is between this and Acts 9 and Paul when he begins the ministry? Anybody have a guess? 14 years. For 14 years, all Paul did was simple. He goes back to his hometown, tries to walk obediently, tries to be developed by believers, tries to proclaim Christ, and the story picks up with Acts 11, uh, verses 25 after this. It says here, And they left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when they found him, they brought him to Antioch for an entire year. They met with the church and taught considerably, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So that gap between Acts 9 and Acts 11 is about 14 years where they said, hey, how's that Paul guy doing? We could probably use him for this. And they go and they look for Paul, they find him, and then he starts a 10-year ministry. It's incredible that the book of Acts is written by Luke. You know, the, the first 16 chapters, Paul is brought up three times. And then the last 14 chapters are almost exclusively about the ministry of Paul. So if you're hearing this and you might be a new believer and you're thinking, man, I, I better move to Ecuador or move to Japan. I better go and become a full-time ministry. That's what the people in the Bible did. Many of the people did become missionaries and go on missional journeys. But typically it was years and years after they had committed themselves to regularly following Christ in their hometown, in their home communities, being developed, and then they go on to follow Christ. So you might be also hearing this, and, and you've not even accepted Christ as your Savior. Um, I just got to say, it's the, it's the best decision I've ever made in my life, and I once bought the book 10th Point at Jiu-Jitsu, so I know about amazing things, and it's the, it's the number one thing on the list. You will not regret accepting Christ as your Savior. Um, you might be reading this and you're a new believer and you haven't been baptized. I want you to know it, it is one of the things that God commands you to do after becoming a Christian. If you have not done that, it would it'd be an honor or a privilege for me, Jason, Luke, Matt, when he's healthy, to talk to you about that. Maybe you've, you've done that, but you're more of the person of maybe I haven't proclaimed Christ in my personal life the way that they would. If people in my you know, community at my job knew 10 things about me. I, I don't know that being a believer would be the first on the list or even on the list at all. My challenge to you is read through Acts 9, see what, what Paul's response was after accepting Christ. And then lastly, you need to be committed to being around other believers. If you're proclaiming Christ, but think maybe church isn't something that I regularly need to spend time on, I would say the, the Bible strongly would argue the opposite. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about how we're we're a body, and you know, my, my legs aren't great at talking, and my mouth isn't great at walking, but when you assemble a whole body together, it can accomplish everything that an entire body can do. You know, you might be someone in this church, and you can't get up and preach, you can't get up and sing, but maybe you can greet people at the door and set up chairs. That, that's what a body looks like. It is different parts with different abilities coming together in order to serve Christ. 
Uh, so that's my challenge to you all today, and that's kind of like the, the opening of, of what you should do after you accept Christ. The beginning of your walk should look like those three things, and where it goes through from there can definitely be amazing. Uh, so let's go ahead and pray. So, Father, we just thank you for this time where we can get together and, and celebrate baptism and starting a walk with you, Lord, and just how special that is. Uh, I just pray for everyone who's here and everyone who's listening online that they would either be challenged or encouraged by what they heard today. Just pray that we would look at Paul's life, try to emulate his early walk as best we can, and try to honor you as best we can as we go through our day-to-day life. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.